you have your Bibles with you, open up to the first book in the New Testament. We'll be in Matthew's Gospel again, Matthew chapter 4. And we're going to start reading in verse 1 in just a moment. And as you know, uh, if, well, all you guys have been coming for quite some time, so you know that we've been highlighting some famous Bible accounts for quite some time now. We finally made it to the New Testament, and today we're going to look at an, at an account that you've no doubt heard and read if you've been in church for, uh, for very long at all. We're going to talk about the temptation of Jesus. The temptation of Jesus. Now, this is related to his baptism very closely. Because uh, you remember in, we talked about his baptism last week, and in doing that he was identifying with us as sinners. He's identifying with us as sinners in the temptation as well. But it's also related very closely in time. Because right after um, the, the baptism, the Bible says he, was, he went right from there to the wilderness to be tempted. Now, we get a little, little hint of that in our text today, but uh, some of the other gospel writers, like Mark, he says immediately after, after the baptism, he, was, he went out to the wilderness and was tempted. And so, um, what I want us to do today is I want us to look at the, the devil's attacks on Jesus, see what we can learn about his attacks uh, from those, his attacks on us uh, from what he does to Jesus, and Jesus' response, because it will help us today. And I firmly believe the devil does not want this sermon preached. Did anybody else have a rough morning? We did. It was like battle royale at the Braddock home. It was. I thought there was going to be a throwdown, and, and uh, it was. It was. It was rough. And I, I really believe that any time you go to expose the devil and what he does, he doesn't like it, and he's going to battle against that. And so um, I'm, as I said before, I'm convinced that uh, with the way things went for us this morning, he doesn't want me to say the things I'm going to say. So as we look at this, I, I want you to kind of, I want you to link this up with Genesis chapter 3. And I'm sure you know right, right, right from what I said, the contents of Genesis 3, right? Um, it's, it's the fall of Adam and Eve whenever they fell into sin. Because the first Adam was tempted by, by the devil. He disobeyed God. He willfully chose to sin against him, and thus the creation was cursed. But Paul says that Jesus is the last Adam. And in our text today, the last Adam is also tempted too. And, and he's not tempted in a, a perfect, pristine garden of Eden. But instead, he's, he's tempted out in a desolate wilderness where the effects of the curse are, are quite evident. The first Adam, he sinned. The last Adam prevailed. And, and it's important to note when we read through this, Jesus won as a man. You say, well, he's, he's God and man. He is. But you'll notice that he never whips out any divine prerogatives on the devil. He could have been like, boom, and, and, and obliterated him. He doesn't do that. He doesn't use any miraculous powers. Instead, he, he wins the victory over the devil as a man. And in, doing, and in doing that, he's showing us, as believers today, how we can conquer the devil too. So stand with me if you would. And let's read uh, Matthew chapter 4, and we'll read the first, first few verses. Remember, this is right after... Uh, the Father said, This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. Then, verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, 
He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him up, uh, took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things will I give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, the first thing that I want you to, to notice in this, in this text is the coordination of the devil's attacks. The coordination of the devil's attacks. Now, that may surprise you, but the, the devil does not just attack us willy-nilly. He's very coordinated in, in what he does. Now, now I've noticed in my own life, and maybe if, if you've kind of stepped back from your own life and, and kind of thought through some things, you may have noticed that there are times in your life where certain circumstances tend to lead you to sin. And we see some of these uh, some of these opportunities that the devil takes in the life of Christ. <clears throat> the first thing that he does is he will often attack us uh, after a spiritual high or a spiritual victory. He'll attack us after a spiritual high or a victory. Remember, as I said before, Jesus had just been baptized. In fact, you remember uh, chapter three and verse seventeen, right before our text today. I I, I kind of read it very quickly. The Father had spoken from heaven and affirmed that Jesus was the Christ. He was his Son. Now remember, that's a great event. I mean, if the Father peeled open the heavens and said, This is my boy, I'm proud of him. And he said that to you, or about you, or he said, This is my daughter, I'm proud of her. I'm well pleased with her, I'm delighted in her. That'd be, that'd be a spiritual high, wouldn't it? That'd be a spiritual victory. He had just been baptized. That was, that was a, big di- big, uh, a big deal. Uh, he had just had the Spirit descend on him in bodily form like a dove. That was a great event. He had just gotten John the Baptist's testimony about him where he said, this is, the, this is the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. That's a great event. And it's right after that the devil attacks. We see it later in Matthew chapter 16. In, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 17, uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, Who do men say that I am? And, and the disciples, oh, well, some say John the Baptist, some say the other prophet, and they're all giving all these opinions. And he says, but who do you say that I am? You remember Peter, he never gets it right in the Scriptures except this one time. He says, you're the Christ. You're the, you're the Son of the living God. What did Jesus say? Verse 17, he says, uh, you're right. Good job. And this, this, is, this is my paraphrase of it. You're right. Good job. Simon Bartone, but flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven did. That's verse 17. A couple of verses later, he says, I'm going to go to the cross and die. And what does Peter say then? He gets it wrong again. He says, no, you're not going to do that. And he takes him aside and, and begins to rebuke him, the Bible says. He begins to put Jesus in his place for saying he's going to the cross. In verse 17, Jesus says, good job. In verse 23, he says, get behind me, Satan, because you're a stumbling block to me. Now, obviously, Peter's not Satan, but... But he's trying to discourage Jesus from doing what he's meant to do. So, so here's Jesus. He's just been proclaimed the Son of God by his followers. They've, they've finally gotten it, it looks like. And just a couple of verses later, don't go to the cross, Jesus. There's an attack there. The devil's trying to short-circuit what, what Christ is about. We see it in the Old Testament. Elijah, he battles the 450 prophets of Baal. He has the big showdown on Mount Carmel. 
has this huge victory. And then what happens? Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. He says, oh my. Well, I'm going to get out of here then. He runs. He's scared. And if you have some wonderful thing happening in your life, spiritually speaking especially, you better watch out. Because the devil is going to be after you. You have some, you know, we, we, we've got people come to, to faith in Christ, people get baptized, things, and what's going to happen? There's going to be problems. You, you have some spiritual victory, you say, oh, I finally, I finally had this breakthrough, I, I finally understand things, I finally made peace with this, and what's going to happen? You're going to have problems. You're, the devil's going to attack you. He's going to attack after spiritual high. But also, notice in verse 2, he'll attack us when we're, when we're physically weak. Look at what it said. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. That's one of the most amazing verses in the Bible to me. After 40 days and 40 nights, then he got hungry. Now, none of us, it looks like, has withheld from food for over a month. I know I haven't, obviously. Now, I shouldn't tell you this, but I'm going to anyway. And it's probably something you don't want to know, probably something I shouldn't share. Yesterday... I weighed right before I went to town. I don't know why. I just I've got the scale right there, and, and I'm always getting on just to see. I don't know why. It's just weird. I'm obsessed. With, but it's, anyway, so I got on the scale, went to town, and went to El uh, Salito Window and got me some Mexican food. And I ate a bunch. I will confess. I had chips and cheese and salsa and a quesadilla and and uh, uh, no an enchilada and rice. And then I had Jesse's meal, too. <laughs> Except for two chicken nuggets. She ate those. So most of her meal. I got home. I gained six pounds. <laughs> six pounds in one meal. I don't know how it happened. But anyway, if I don't eat regularly, I get... I, I'm hungry. I'm mean. And, and many times, the devil will attack us during our times of weakness. Now, some of us, it's when we don't eat. That's, that's what happens to me. Even after I had eaten all that later that night, now that should, that should be enough to last me for two or three days. But later that night, I got so mean. Boy, I, I didn't even want to, be, want to be around myself. But I couldn't get away from me. And I didn't care. I knew I was mean. I just didn't care that I was mean. Sometimes it's when I, maybe we've got a physical thing going on. Maybe we're just, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know what it is. Sometimes our time of weakness is, is after we, we first wake up. We're not really thinking clearly, and that's when the devil tends to attack us. Maybe it's, it's when we're real tired. I know none of you ever get real tired. You come home from work, whatever, dealing with the kids, and boy, you just don't feel, oh, you just don't feel like putting up with it. The devil will sometimes tempt us in those times. He'll test us. For some people, it's not just the day-to-day -day stuff. That, that gets us down. That's not so much when the devil attacks. Maybe they're, they're in a prolonged illness. And, and when we're physically, when we just don't feel like putting up a fight, sometimes, oftentimes that's when the devil will, will go after us. When we're worn out, when we're exhausted, he'll attack us. Happened with Jesus. He was, he was hungry, and that's when the devil attacked. Uh, another time, look at verse 1. He'll attack us when we're alone. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, if you read all the gospel accounts where it talks about his temptations, the Bible makes it very clear he's out there all by himself. The only things out there, according to, I think it's Mark's gospel, are the wild beasts. 
He's out in the wilderness all by himself. You ever notice it's real easy to sin when somebody when you're alone, but it's tougher to sin when there's somebody right there with you? Maybe you're you're thinking, oh, well, I'm gonna. Maybe I should do this. I know I shouldn't, but I'm, I'm feeling the pressure to do it. And you're by yourself, and, and here comes your parent, here comes your spouse, here comes your boss. And you say, oh, I, I better not do that. I don't want them to see. You ever done that? When when you're alone, it's a lot easier for the devil to get you to sin. Nobody there to see you do it. Oh well, they'll never know. I'll just keep to myself, and it'll just be me and. And God and the devil that knows. And this is one reason I think that the devil, that the Bible is very clear. It says, "Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the custom of some." Because when we're all alone, when we don't meet together regularly with other believers, we're weaker. Now, uh, kind of an illustration of this that we can identify with. You know, this cold weather we've been having. We've been burning quite a bit of wood. And one of the things that, that you'll notice, and, and you've no doubt have seen this, the wood burns down and all you're left with is red hot coals. And then one of those coals will roll off to the side. These other coals are all together. They'll stay hot, but that one's off by itself. It'll cool down a lot faster. You ever notice that? It's like that with believers too. When, when we're all together, we can keep that heat up. But when we're off by ourselves, we tend to cool off. And, and so the devil will target us when we're alone. And last way, it's, it, uh, he'll, he'll target us, he'll attack us. It seems almost uh, too obvious to mention, but I'll do it anyway. Um, he'll, he'll do it when it doesn't seem like there's any other way for things to be helped except for God. When, when, when God is the only way, when, when he's the only one that we can count on, that's when the devil will come after us. He'll, he'll tempt us to doubt God. He'll tempt us to, to lose our hope, to lose our faith, to wander away from God. And make no mistake, the devil is not your friend. He hates you. He hates me. He hates us because, especially because we're followers of Christ. And he would like nothing better than to get you away from God. He can't get you to lose your salvation, but he can get you to lose your testimony. So he'll coordinate his attacks with what's going on in your life, especially physically. <clears throat> and so, so what is the content of his attacks? He's trying to get us apart from God. How does he do it? Well, again, look look at what he did to Jesus, especially in these three, uh, three different temptations. Verse 3, The tempter came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now, what is he appealing to? Well, he's appealing to Jesus' area of weakness, which is his physical body at this point. He's hungry. He's been 40 days and 40 nights without food. And something that you already know about yourself, something you already know about me, we all have an area of weakness. Hopefully you know what your area of weakness is. Maybe you've got one, maybe you've got a bunch. I've got a bunch of them. But some areas are stronger than others. Some areas are weaker than others. Some things, it's like, boy, I don't even have a desire to do that, whereas your neighbor might. And some things your neighbor might not have a desire to do, and, and boy, you just struggle with that. He'll target our areas of weakness. Maybe yours is, is your temper or, or lust or gossip or pride or, or whatever it is. And the devil, he may tempt you in those areas of strength, but he won't do it as much as in those areas of weakness. It's like if, you were fighting, if you're trying to take a fortified castle, you wouldn't try to go for the hardest part. You'd go for the easiest part. Anybody ever watch Star Wars? You remember back in from the 70s, late 70s? Luke Skywalker. 
He's going against the Death Star. Remember that? And he's zooming around. And they can't do anything to the Death Star. It's huge, just like a planet. Well, what does he do? He can fire a missile into that ventilation shaft and blow it up. That's the weak point. That's what the devil does. He, he'll look for that chink in our armor, and that's what he'll attack. Now, Jesus was physically weak, and so he attacked his very weakness. He said, all these stones, they look like loaves of bread anyway, and the stones over there, about the size of a small loaf of bread. And I love the smell of fresh-baked bread, don't you? And it's, boy, it's just good stuff. And if I was really hungry, that would be a strong temptation for me. And he has the power to feed 5,000 people with loaves and fishes, and he's, he's going to do that later. And so the devil says, if you're really the Son of God, I mean, Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, the Father said you are. If that's the case, won't you really do it? Won't you put your money where your mouth is, so to speak? He, he, he targeted his area of weakness. His physical appetites. And that's what he'll do with us. He'll target our physical appetites. And I'm not talking about just food, but I'm talking about things that we desire and crave. Things that may not be bad for you to fulfill, but what he'll do is he'll, he'll try to get you to fulfill them in an inappropriate or illegitimate way. For instance, success is not a bad thing. But if the devil tries to get you to, uh, you know, not have integrity, to lie, to, uh, to tear somebody down, to slander. He's trying to get you to give that success in, in an inappropriate way. It's a physical appetite. Uh, Jesus was hungry, and the devil tried to get him to doubt the providence of God and, and, and the care of the Father and to do things all on his own. To step away and say, well, I'm not, I, I know that God could take care of me, but I'm not going to. I'm going to fulfill this appetite in an improper way. I'm going to take care of it myself. But Jesus gives the answer to that. Look at verse, uh, verse 4. It's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, if your Bible's like mine, not only is it in red, but it's in all caps. Because my, my, my translation, the way they do it, is if there's an Old Testament quote, they put it in all caps to help you, under, help you see that. Jesus here... Is, is quoting the book of Deuteronomy. A lot of us have Psalm 23 memorized, right? That's about the only uh, Old Testament passage we have memorized. Jesus had Deuteronomy chapter 8 memorized. And he gives us a principle of Scripture. He says, uh, he, he says that, uh, that man should not live by bread alone, and in the context of Deuteronomy 8, God's telling the Israelites, you were out in the wilderness and I fed you with manna. You didn't have food, and I, I, I took care of things in, in a way that you didn't have any idea what was going on. And Jesus is saying, uh, we have desires, we have needs, and God will, will sustain you. You can trust Him. He, he, he's more important than bread. And He can sustain you even with the words of His mouth, and therefore we can trust Him. So the devil's going to attack an area of weakness. But also, if you look at this, this next uh, temptation, verses 5 and following, he tempts us to compromise. He tempts believers to compromise what's right, and by the looks of the world that we're in, he's doing a pretty good job of it. He's doing a good job of tempting believers to not live like they're supposed to live, like they know to live. I just talked to a, a, a mother just not too long ago, and she was heartbroken because her Christian daughter was living with a man who was not her husband. We, we, we all the time see... See, believers, preachers even, on the news, 
that have fallen into some sin in a very public way. You say, well, that's big stuff. I don't, I don't do that. You know, all the time we're tempted to compromise in little things. Yeah, just fudge the truth a little bit. I think that's called a lie, right? If we don't tell the truth, it's a lie. Uh, sometimes we're, we're, we're tempted to, to, to fudge the numbers. We're, we're tempted to, to steal. We're tempted to do all sorts of things that we know are not right. That's compromise. And we see that in this temptation in verses 5 and, and five and 6. How do we see that? Well, the Bible says the devil took Jesus into the holy city, that's Jerusalem, and led him up to the pinnacle of the temple. Now, when I read that, I think of a pinnacle like a spire, don't you? And I think of Jesus out there climbing up a, a pinnacle. That, that doesn't make sense to me. The word that's translated as pinnacle literally means a wing. And, and the temple was this huge building. It was a big complex built out on Mount Moriah. And there were several walls, especially the one on the south side, that were huge. The one on the south side was, <clears throat> excuse me, it was like 150 foot tall. Tall, tall wall. And it was on top of a on top of Mount Moriah, like I said, and it's probably up, I think, probably on the top of the south wall, where the devil had Jesus, 150 foot up, and he looked down to the valley below, several hundred feet down. Uh, the ancient writer Josephus says that if you look down, uh, you couldn't do it without getting dizzy. So here the devil has Jesus up on top of the wall, and he says, "Take a step of faith." Just jump out there. Because the Bible says, you, 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 you want to say, it is written? Well, here, here's what's written. He starts quoting a psalm. Now, again, if your Bible is like mine, it's in all caps. Except, there's a little bit, there's like a little break in there that's not all caps. Because what the devil does is he misquotes the psalm. He leaves part of it out. And when you take out part of a passage, it's going to change the meaning of the verse, or the verses, and that's what the devil does. Because in the context, the Bible is saying, if you follow God and you do what God says, God's going to take care of you. He's going to keep you safe. If, if he leads you in, into a dangerous place, he's going, to, he's going to make sure that you're safe. We think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They, they followed God, they were safe. You think of Daniel and Lionstein, he was safe. Things like that. But what the devil is saying is, you know, just do your own thing and, and presume upon God to keep you safe. How does that translate into compromise? Well, here's where knowing a little bit about uh, what was going on at the time is helpful. Because the Jews at the time looked at a passage out of Malachi where it says that the, the Messiah was going to come into the temple and from, from heaven and all these things. And their idea was that the Messiah, whenever he came onto the scene, was going to descend out of heaven to the temple. Okay, so they're in Jerusalem, very crowded place. The temple has always got people there. And the devil is saying, you just jump off this wall at the temple and either A, you don't fall because the angels are going to keep you up, or B, you fall, but you don't even get hurt. Either way, can you imagine if, if, if you're one of those people at the temple and you see some guy jump out and he just hangs there in midair? He jumps out and he falls and gets up and walks, dusts himself off and he just walks away. What are you going to say? Malachi 3 is fulfilled. There's our Messiah. Let's follow him. There was a very subtle attempt 
to get him to compromise. And if Jesus would have done that, he could have missed out all the poverty. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He could have missed out on all the, all the poverty. He could have missed out on the suffering. He could have missed out on the weakness. He would have ultimately avoided the cross. But I'm glad he didn't do that, aren't you? He, he, didn't, he didn't compromise in that situation. I like what one commentator said. He said, here we have the devil with the Bible under his arm and a text in his mouth. And, and so, so Jesus, he kind of puts him in his place because the devil goes to proof texting. He takes it out of context. The text out of context is a pretext. And Jesus says, you know what? Whatever scripture you bring up has to be interpreted by the rest of the word of God. And Jesus said, it is written, verse 7, don't put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, don't presume upon God's goodness. When you're tempted to compromise, to give in to the devil, to the world, to the flesh, don't do it. Don't presume upon God. And the last thing that we see as far as content of what he does is in the last temptation, he tries to get us to replace God. And this is the most overt temptation. The first one's real subtle, fulfill your desires in, in an inappropriate way. The second one, Presume upon the goodness of God, the providence of God. Compromise, very subtle stuff. The last one's very overt. He says, I'll give you all the kings of the world. Bow down and worship me. Now, when he's going to come to us and tempt us, he doesn't say, as Olivia saying just a moment ago, the wages of sin is death. He doesn't say, now, if you do this, here's what's going to happen. He just says, just do this. Or in, in the case of this temptation, he says, just do this, and this is all the good stuff I can give you. He doesn't tell us the bad stuff's going to happen. And so he tempts Jesus. He, he, he tries to get him to bow down and worship him. And sometimes, you remember in the Garden of Eden, he appeals to our pride. He says, if you'll eat of the fruit of that tree, you'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. He'll appeal to our pride. Sometimes, uh, he'll try to get us to put us in God's place. Sometimes he tries to get us to put something else in God's place. Many times it's money. Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. Sometimes he just gets, he tries to get us to follow him. And, and when we're tempted to, to put someone or something in the place of God, we need to remember what Jesus said. He said that, well, look at what it says verse 10. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He alone deserves our worship. He alone deserves our praise and our allegiance. So we have the coordination of his attacks. We've seen their content. And now I want you to see the counter to his attacks. And this is kind of run throughout this. But the first thing is we need to resist the devil. Re resist the devil. Now that's pretty obvious, I think. If you don't want to give in to temptation, you have to fight it. The Bible says resist the devil, and well, he do. He'll flee. But how many times do we fail at this very basic point? The temptation will come along, and we just go along with it. And that's so stupid. But we do it, and we know it's stupid at the time. Uh, many times we just go along because we don't feel like fighting. It's like, you know what? I'm tired. I'm not going to win anyway, so let's just get it over with. Sometimes he's so subtle that we'll be like already partway into whatever it is we're not supposed to be doing, and we wake up and we say, oh, how, how'd I get here? 
I'm not supposed to be here. It's very he's very subtle. Sometimes, like I said, we, we say, oh, I've failed so many times, what's the point of even trying? Folks, we are engaged in a spiritual warfare. The problem is many times we seem to think that it's, it's a holiday that we're on, not a battlefield. Strive against the devil. That means that we actively try not to sin. And, and the way that's going to look is going to be different for all of us. It's going to be different in the situations we're in. A lot of the times it means... It's going to mean that we flee. Maybe we just need a change of scenery. Somebody as well said that if you don't want to fall, don't walk where it's slippery. We, we need to resist the devil. We need to use Scripture. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul talks about the armor of God. And what is he called the, the Word of God? The sword of the Spirit. It's what Jesus used. Again, he could have just... He could have he could have blasted him with, I don't know, what, whatever he could have done. He's God. You know, he could have done something to him, but he doesn't do that. He uses the Bible. It's strong. It's powerful. He had hidden it in his, in his heart. He had memorized it. And maybe you say, well, I can't do that. Yeah, you can. You know how I know? Because you can sing a song without looking at the words. We sing songs here at church. We don't even have to open the hymnal. Have country station playing. We don't have to pull out a, a sheet music to sing those songs. We can do it if we'll try. And maybe, maybe the thing that you need to do is find a, a text that deals specifically with what your area of weakness is and memorize that one. So when you're tempted in that area, the Spirit of God can bring it to mind. Well, listen, these are not things you have to go to seminary for. Resist the devil. There's no course in seminary on that. Use Scripture. If you got the Word of God, and you can get it for free digitally many times, free's pretty cheap. And there's not, no reason that we can't do it. Be familiar with what the Bible says, and beyond that, be, be familiar with what it means. Because we have an adversary, the devil, who walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But the good news is that on the cross, Jesus pulled the teeth that old lion. He can roar a lot. He can tempt us. But we don't have to sin. Because greater is He that's in us than He that's in the world. With every temptation, God provides a way of escape. Our problem is we just don't take it. Resist the devil and he will flee from us. Rely on Scripture. It's a sure and it's a steady guide. I want you to stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And as always, I'm not saying any of this stuff to beat anybody up. I'm not saying it because I've got it figured out, because I know the stuff, same as you know the stuff. The problem isn't in the knowing, the problem is in the doing. And it's not the stuff that we don't understand in the Bible that gives us the most fits. It's the stuff that we do understand. It's the plain stuff. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not uh, commit adultery. The, all, those, all those things are very plain. It's not in the knowing. It's in the doing. We were saying about it a moment ago. Grace greater than our sin. 
you failed this week, as I have, there's grace. There's forgiveness. Not because we deserve it. Not because we earn it. Not because God looks down and says, Oh, they went to church this number of times this week or this month or this year. I'm going to forgive them this time. No, it's because of what Jesus did on the cross. Seek that forgiveness. But then as Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. Heavenly Father, Lord, we we fail so many times and we know that. None of us here would claim to be sinless because it's obvious that we're not. Lord, we thank you for your grace, for your understanding, for those times when we fail, when we give in to the devil, when we're just we're enticed and we go along with it. Maybe it's so subtle and we've already done whatever it is before almost before we realize it's happened. Lord, we're thankful that when we sin we have an advocate with you. Jesus Christ the righteous. Lord, I pray for forgiveness for my own sins. I pray for each person that's here, and I ask that you would uh, forgive each one of them as they uh, as they seek you. Lord, help us to stand against the devil, to resist him, to rely on you and your spirit and your word. And God, for the person maybe who's never accepted Christ as their Savior, Lord, I, I, I pray that you would convict their hearts let them not be able to get away from it. Let them come to faith in you soon, even today. Lord, help us be a holy people. We ask in Jesus' name.